Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, 9. Uh, 24 through 27, and we're going to be talking about spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, or you could say practicing the way of Jesus, practicing the way of Jesus. And where we've been is that the first Sunday we talked about how authentic life should feel. Um, and then last week we introduced the concept of spiritual disciplines and sort of keyed in on a couple of, of examples as templates with shared silence and, and solitude as well. And this morning what we're going to do is define further what we mean by spiritual practices. And the goals today are threefold um, when we come to talk about spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. There's... Um, three invitations that I'd like us to hear from the heart of Jesus for us, for us as a community, us as individuals, and they are this. One, to be with Jesus. Secondly, to become like Jesus. And thirdly, to do what he did. And so right off the top, we want to get said that spiritual disciplines or practices or just flat out good habits because you love Jesus aren't the end in and of itself. The end is transformation. The end is deep heart work transformation so that we are with Jesus, become like him, and do what Jesus did. Now, this morning, I'm going to be using a lot of um, sports analogies and metaphors. And I grew up playing team sports, and so I, I would have, a long time ago, considered myself an athlete. No longer, I don't think. I still like to watch sports, and I don't talk a whole lot about sports analogies on Sunday, but today you're going to hear about it. And we, as a community, were well represented in Cleveland sports this week. I'll have you know, I forgot to put the slide up, but one of our own got to throw out the ceremonial first pitch at the Cleveland Guardians game this past week. Josiah Langston got to throw out the first pitch at the Cleveland Guardians game, and I was just like, yeah, buddy, you go, bring life, bringing life to the city by throwing out first pitches, come on, Vineyard Cleveland, let's go. So we're going to talk a little bit about sports today, because Paul talks about it in his letter to the Corinthians. If you wanted to turn there, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Paul begins to unpack what it means to practice the way of Jesus, and we read this in verse 24, Do you not know, writing to the church at Corinth, that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Uh, Unless you're a millennial, then we all got a prize at some point. He wrote this a long long time ago when when there actually were winners and losers. Only one. I'm not slamming anybody. I was part of it too. I was part of it too. Participation awards. Come on. Uh, only one only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, because of this 
crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so after that so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So there's a lot of athletic uh, metaphor going on here in what Paul is writing and there's two specifically and one is of runners in a race and the other is like a boxing analogy there if you see it later in the passage. In Paul writing to the church at Corinth, the one that he planted, he's uh, definitely drawing on imagery of the Olympic Games, which are just getting started. And I believe they're called the Isthmus Games that happened actually in Corinth when, excuse me, tens of thousands of people would come to the city of Corinth to watch uh, competitors run in races and receive crowns. And so that's the context. And the meaning for these words, and he's not um, just limited to 1 Corinthians. Paul, uh, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, all over the New Testament, he's using these sports metaphors, these sports analogies. In Acts 20, he says, finish the race that she started. In Galatians 5, he talks about faith, following Jesus, practicing the way as running a race or fighting the good fight. So these athletic metaphors are all over the New Testament, all over the New Testament. In the key verse there, in verse 25, I wanted to draw our attention to, and the Passion Translation puts it really well, reads that a true athlete will be disciplined in every respect, practicing constant self-control in order to win a laurel wreath that quickly withers. But we run our race to win a victor's crown that will last forever. And so the etymology of this word training or disciplined what it means for Paul to say that he's, tra- he's disciplining himself is in the very word we say um, of what it means to follow Jesus, which is a disciple. To be a disciple means to discipline, be disciplined. He's a disciplined one. He's learned what it means to be a disciplined one. And so these spiritual disciplines come out of practices. And I'll be interchanging those two, your, uh, two, two words, but the phrase we need to unpack first, spiritual disciplines, because in our Western kind of English understanding of this phrase, there, there's a lot that gets uh, mixed up in translation. When we take the first word from that phrase, spiritual, and we just look at it, we kind of tend to think of this kind of ethereal thing that's spiritual. It's floating out there. It's like Oprah-esque, you know, we can't really like feel or touch it. And then the second word, discipline, definitely in our hedonistic kind of culture has a negative connotation to it. It it refers to punishment or you've done something bad and so you need to like do something good or repay for the things that you've done wrong. So spiritual practices feels a little bit better or like I'll quote the, the, the wise Sarah Brusco here and just say, just flat out good habits good habits and following Jesus. So we'll be talking about spiritual disciplines kind of in in those words. And for Paul, what's important to understand here in drawing out the athletic metaphor is that these spiritual disciplines are practicing the way of Jesus. Are we pausing for reflection? (laughs) 
I mean, I'm up for it if you guys are. Come Holy Spirit. Okay. These spiritual practices are um, drawing out the athletic metaphor are, um, Christina, I love you. Thank you for running Easy Worship today. Yay, yay, yay. Are, uh, are drawing our attention to the way that Paul thought about following Jesus. And the way that he thought about it was that this is something that happens in our bodies. Yeah, this is something that is very physical in the way that it's expressed. Discipleship to Jesus is something you do in your body. Practices, good habits, disciplines, whatever you want to call them. They have a, a, a negative connotation in our day and age, but what we need to hear from Paul is this is something that happens in our bodies, in our hearts, in our minds, yes. And yeah, spiritual, ethereal, kind of Oprah-esque, but this is something that happens in the here and now and how we practice that. So let's define it. What are spiritual disciplines? And a lot of this stuff is taken, as you know, from Dallas Willard, um, I was talking with a friend last week, and, and he was like, man, you're really a fanboy of Dallas Willard and Henry Nowen, aren't you? And I was like, are you making fun of me? Yes. <laughs> yes and yes. Uh, so a lot of this stuff is not my own. It's coming from Willard and a little bit from Nowen, but mostly from the Word. And you won't find, you won't find a list of like cut and dry spiritual disciplines in the, in the whole of the New Testament. You know, it's not like Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's saying, these are the 15 things that you need to do in order to follow Jesus. You won't find it anywhere, not in 1 Corinthians, not anywhere. So these are lists that we've kind of like gathered in what Paul is meaning and what he's trying to get across to us. But to, to define it, a working good kind of practical working definitions are that spiritual disciplines are practices based on the lifestyle of Jesus that create a time and space for us to access the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, be transformed from the inside out. So the whole point of of just if we took it from a, uh, from a secular definition, the word discipline, to be disciplined at something, anything, uh, sports, music, science, whatever it is, is that you are by effort, by effort, any activity done by direct effort which will help me do what I could not previously do. And I want to bring up the, so keep that in mind. There's one major element that's missing from like that secular definition, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk more about this here in like two minutes. But like the power of the Holy Spirit, he's the one who changes us. He's the one who's doing the transformation in our work. But that, man, I'm skipping. I'm skipping ahead. Okay, so here's Willard and Foster's list. A couple weeks ago, I showed you Dallas Willard's list. Today, I've implemented Richard Foster's list, which I hope will kind of open our perspective just a little bit wider. And in Willard's list, you've got two different kind of columns that are hanging out there. One are disciplines of abstinence, and the other are disciplines of engagement. Foster breaks it down into these three uh, different um, 
columns with inward disciplines, outward disciplines, and corporate disciplines. And we can kind of just stew on that for a minute. But coming back to the athletic analogy or metaphor, um, what we see is this thing of athletes. um, Athletes love... Athletes love the sport or the game that they play. And that's why, you know, the Browns training camp is starting really soon. And they're in Berea. They'll be out every day for two days, three days. And I don't know how many of you are Browns fans, but when you see Miles Garrett, who is just a specimen, right? I mean, just stacked. And you see him lining up on the outside of the defensive end, and the quarterback snaps the ball, and like there's this meme that's floating around social media of that, like he's he's so fast, he's invisible, you don't see him move off the line because he's so fast. It doesn't just happen for Miles Garrett. He didn't just wake up, and he moves off of the defensive line to lead the league in sacks and get to the quarterback, the quickest out of anybody that I've seen play football. The dude is super fast. And he's also, you know, plus 200 pounds. To get a body like that moving, he doesn't just wake up like that and it happens. This is thousands of two-a-days, three-a-days, of practicing timing, uh, of moving off of the line as quickly as possible. He's training, he's beating his body in order to be disciplined at what he does. And he does it probably better than anyone in the National Football League. I love this example. If you think about this example, uh, the late Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant, uh, arguably the GOAT. You know, he's up there with the greatest of all time with Michael Jordan. And I don't know, should I even say it? LeBron, I don't know, top three, who is it? So there's this story about Kobe Bryant. Uh, it's a playoff game, and they're on, the Lakers are on the road. And the Lakers are in Miami to play the Heat. And during the course of the game, you know, he puts up like 20, 30 points or whatever. But he misses like a free throw or two. One free throw or two. And the Lakers end up losing the game. And so the game ends, and it's like 1045 at night, and everybody empties the gym. Kobe hangs out around the locker room, and then after everybody's left and the lights in the gymnasium start to go down, he walks back out onto the floor with his trainer. On a road game, a playoff, they've just lost. He walks out at 11 p.m. to start a workout. And once you know it, Kobe stays there. Everybody has long left the gym. He stays there till like 2 a.m. just shooting threes, shooting free throws, thousands of shots after the game has already ended. And you look at an athlete like Kobe, and he didn't just wake up and become great at like what he did. But it's that sort of thing that led him to be even in this conversation of who's the greatest of all time. And what Paul is trying to get across is that the purpose of why athletes do drills is not just to get better. It's not just for the love of the game. They're beating their body to become disciplined at what they do so that they'll win the prize. So whether it's um, drills to an athlete or scales to a musician, 
Spiritual disciplines are to the follower of Jesus. It's a way to access the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And what we're saying here is that we need a power beyond ourselves to see real transformation, real change happen in our lives. We need a power beyond me, a power beyond you. In other words, we partner with the Spirit in this, and he does the heavy lifting. If it were like percentage, what we're saying is that you play a responsibility in your own transformation, in your own growth. No one else is responsible for that but you. Now, we partner with the Holy Spirit, and if you want to talk percentages in that partnership, it's like 95% the Holy Spirit. It's like 5% us, if that. I don't know the exact mathematical equation, but he's doing the heavy lifting in our own transformation. But the point is that we play a part in our own transformation transformation and we have a responsibility to work out and it matters. It matters for you and it matters to God. Willard said this, he said, grace isn't opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. Now, if you want to step back a second and look at the spectrum of history from the early church until now, Cleveland, Ohio, Sunday in July, we'll see that In the early church, the followers of Jesus got it. And it's in the pages of Scripture and Acts, they just got it. Now, they weren't perfect, they were just like us. But there was something about practicing the way that they understood that these these spiritual disciplines are just something that you do because you love Jesus. Now, somewhere along the line... Uh, these spiritual disciplines get convoluted and there is a swing in the pendulum towards earning, doing these things to earn a, a, a badge of merit or some kind of honor that's bestowed upon you because you fast the most or you um, worship the most or you serve the most or you confess the most or all of these things. You know, it's this picture, this mental picture of like the monk, right, who's on top of the building at midnight in the dark whipping himself to earn God's salvation, having to earn his salvation. And this is well documented. You know, there there were monks and there were followers of Jesus, well-intentioned back in the day, who wouldn't even talk to their own mother. They wouldn't even look, they wouldn't even look at a woman in fear of falling into the deadly sin of lust. They went out of their way to not talk to women, to not look at women, right? That's not, that's not the way of Jesus, Sitting on the top of a building at midnight, whipping yourself, punishing yourself, trying to earn God's salvation. Now, in our Western understanding, as we move through history toward current day Cleveland, I feel that the pendulum has swung completely the other way. To that any mention, any mention of spiritual disciplines any mention of spiritual disciplines and we immediately hold up this banner of like, it's, it's through grace that I'm saved. I don't have to do anything to earn God's love. And that's true. Yes, you are a son. You're a daughter of God. You can do nothing to earn the love of God. 
But the pendulum has swung so far in the other direction that we've abdicated our responsibility to actually following Jesus in the way that he's intended for us to follow him. We don't have to do any of these things because I'm saved by grace. And that discounts the Holy Spirit and his power to work in us the real transformation that God has for us. It's like the the old saying goes, without him, we can't. But without us, he won't. I know that might seem like semantics, but it's so true. I'll say it again. Without him, we can't. But without us, he won't. And is that because God is like, oh, I won't. I won't come and grace them because they're not willing to. No, it's not because of that. It's just that he can't occupy the same space as inauthenticity. He like just won't do it. It's not part of his character. So the truth is is that every time you do this, whether you are practicing silence or solitude, getting in the Bible, um, practicing confession, worshiping, acts of service, prayer, meditation, every time that you do this, all that you're saying is you're saying what we just did this morning. God, I'm here. You're here. We're here together. Let your kingdom come. That's, that's all that it is. Have your way in my life. Okay, so training or trying. Trying or training. Following Jesus isn't about trying really hard. It's about training really hard. The question we need to ask here is, how do we experience that life of Jesus that we are? I'm assuming you're all here this morning because you find Jesus mesmerizing. <laughs> I do. When I look at the Jesus in the pages of scripture, I'm like, man, I want to be like you. You're amazing. That's why you guys are all here this morning, because Jesus is mesmerizing. So the question becomes, how how do we experience that life of Jesus that we all crave, that we all want in this coming week? Do we experience that by trying or by training? And let's break it down a little bit further, what I mean by those two things. Trying. What does trying to experience the life of Jesus look like without training? Well, I don't know about for you, but for me, it looks like wake up in the morning. If, it, if it's not summertime, kids got to get to school. I've got NPR on in the radio. I'm listening to something. I'm listening to music. Uh, we're working at the office. Maybe you're working at the office and, and, and you're like, I got to get these reports done. I've got to get these spreadsheets done. And I'm doing that. And I'm doing that. And my microwavable mac and cheese is ready to go for lunch. And I got to go to the office space to, to microwave my mac and cheese. And on my way, I'm going to say, oh, Lord, I know I'm supposed to be a witness here, but I'm not really doing doing so good. Help me try. I got I to gotta be a witness for Jesus and my microwavable mac and cheese is all, is all ready now. So I'm going to sit down and I'm going to be sharing a conversation with my coworker. And I have to mention the church because I'm a Christian and I need to witness somehow and do that. And you're trying and trying and trying. And Jesus kind of becomes like this drive-through Christianity where you pull around McDonald's and you're like, I'll have, you know, a milkshake and some Bible study on the go and, you know, a McDouble or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, so training, how does training, how does training differ from trying? Training looks like this. 
The majority of us go to work on Monday. On Sunday night, we say to ourselves and we set an alarm on our clock. We say, you know, I'm going to wake up 30 minutes earlier tomorrow morning. I'm going to set aside 20 minutes and, and wake up 20 minutes before what I normally wake up. And I'm going to set my Bible here. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to open my Bible. And I'm just going to sit for 20 minutes. And one day a week, one out of seven, a seventh, one, one day I'm going to do no work. I'm going to take this thing that seems to be an appendage to me, and I'm going to press the power button, and I'm going to lay it down and not touch it for a whole day, for one day. I just will not, I will be unavailable to anyone. And that's called Sabbath. You set aside the phone. Maybe it's a long walk at night. You take a long walk into the woods. And you say, this walk is for Jesus, to reconnect with God, and then let the rest of the week take care of itself. So which is harder? It's a lot easier to work, I'm telling you, it's a lot easier to work discipline or practices into your life as opposed to trying really hard to work him into that. And here's the good stuff, that when we train our hearts to love God and to love the things that God loves, we want to do those things more. Sadly, the inverse is true. The less we do these things, the less our hearts gravitate towards the love of God. Now, this is backwards. You may be thinking, this doesn't feel right. In cognition, in cog cognitive behavior, it's your behavior that comes before your attitudes and your affections. And the digital age in America, we think it's backwards. We think it's the other way. We think that our attitudes shape our actions. That's wrong. All of psychology, all of Jesus says that it's our behaviors. It's the other way around. Our behaviors shape our attitudes and affections. So the more that we lean in, the more we become like him. Or in other words, our loves and our longings begin to be transformed by him the more that we lean into this, to what he loves and what he longs for. Okay, real quick, six thoughts on how to use the disciplines well. First, smart training takes a balanced approach. Smart training takes a balanced approach. If we could throw the disciplines up there one more time. A lot of us, when we look at a list like this, four spiritual disciplines, we, we, seem, we seem to think that all of these happen alone and like without community, and they happen inwardly. That's what, I mean, honestly, that's what I think about when I think about them. They happen by myself, and they happen inside. But what Willard and Foster are saying, and what I believe Paul is saying too, is that 
They do happen in those two spheres, but they also happen together. Like what you're doing this morning, that's a spiritual practice. You've set aside time to be with people. What we'll do later in celebrating, just to celebrate and eating a great meal together, that is a spiritual practice right there. So these things don't just happen alone and they don't just happen inwardly. They happen outwardly and they happen with people too. Which one is more important? Both. Both are important. Both are important. So it takes a balance. Both columns, all these columns are important. Smart training takes a balanced approach. Smart training also takes personality into account. Listen, there's a freedom, and I hope this is increasingly true of Vineyard Cleveland. There's a freedom to be who God created you to be. If you're extroverted and you love getting around people, and that's you, awesome. You might be annoying some of the introverts in your life to no end, but we love you. And to you introverts who would uh, want nothing more than to wake up and see no people for the rest of your life (laughs) and just lose yourself in a great sci-fi novel or comic book or whatever, There's freedom for you to be who God's created you to be because here's the truth about Jesus is that when you follow Jesus, uh, unlike other religions or whatever, um, he doesn't require you to check your personality at the door to become something that you're not. He created you. He loves you. You're a son. You're a daughter. And so smart training takes personality into account. There's freedom to be who God created you to be. There's an author, Gary Thomas, who uh, has listed these nine sacred pathways about how people in general connect with God. And you'll find yourself in some of these. Some people are naturalists. I tend to think that I'm that way. I love getting out on the river and fishing and and hearing the sound of the river float past me and hearing it in my ears all day and being alone in nature with God. Some of you are naturalists. You really connect with God through nature. Others of you are senses people, whether it's through like a great craft beer or like an amazing meal. That just does it for you. It's your taste, your smell, your touch. You connect with God that way. Others of you are traditionalists. You know, you'd want nothing more than to be here every Sunday practicing your spiritual discipline of living out community. Others of you are aesthetics people. Um, You need to be in environments, and when you're in environments that are inviting and connecting, you connect with God. Others of you are activists, like serving the poor and fighting uh, the social justice fight. That's for you, and you, you really connect with God when you do this. Others are caregivers, You'd want nothing more than to care for other people. And when you care for other people, when you say, uh, serve at the food pantry, or you uh, make a trip to, uh, to visit the elderly, people you don't even know, you just love caring for other people, you give care, that's a way that you connect with God. Others of you are enthusiasts, others of you are contemplatives, and some of you are intellectuals. You know, when you open the Bible or you listen to a great podcast, you just really connect with God. The point here is to tap into the practices that make you come alive. Tap into these practices that make you come alive and lean into those more often. For some of you, you love worship. I love watching Jason Torrance play the drums, don't you? 
It inspires me to worship God. He worships God with his whole body. So for him, this thing of music is like he would, he would love to have three, four hours constantly of worship music going. He connects with God. For others of you, you're like, music's music, whatever. I mean, I see you're like, mm, give or take. You could give or take music. We'll have a counseling session about that later. <laughs> but for others of you, that's just not your gig. That's not your thing. Uh, for others of you, it's, it's the teaching. You are like taking notes. You think it's awesome. There's no one that's better than the other, but both, we need both for freedom. We need to lean into all of these. Next, smart training takes into account seasons of life. And this is one thing that we really parked on at our small group this past week was that smart training takes into seasons of life. Some of you are in newborn phase with little babies. Others of you are in toddler phase. Some of you are in like teaching your kid how to drive phase in teenage years. Others of you are empty nesters. There's different seasons of life where some of these practices will be more prominent than others in your life. And at some point, you'll, all of us, all of us will experience what theologians have called the dark night of the soul, where it doesn't matter what practice you try, you just can't connect. It just feels like a concrete wall between you and God. Smart training takes into account seasons of life. And then the, the practical element there is to recognize your season and then adjust your practice accordingly recognizing the season, and then adjusting the practice accordingly, okay? Smart training also takes into account the, the need of the hour. There's this thing that I love about Dan Laszlo. Dan Laszlo, who's running sound this morning. Thank you, Dan. Dan is a physician, and Dan is so great at diagnosis, at diagnosis, and so if we're not feeling well, I'm like, Dan, I'm really not feeling well. He'll ask me questions. Well, what is this like? Well, what is that like? And then within seconds, Dan is able to pinpoint what is wrong with me. Because <laughs> Dan just knows. In a similar way, smart training takes into account the need for the hour in the same way a doctor utilizes prescription. And different needs of the hour will require different practices. If you want to put up the, I'm sorry, Christine, I'm making you work. If you want to, there they are. So typically what we'll find and what I found in my life is that like if you're struggling with a sin of commission, you're going to need a practice of abstinence. Likewise, if you're struggling with a sin of omission, you will need a discipline of engagement. Examples. If you're struggling with, uh, say, watching porn or whatever, uh, overeating, gluttony, whatever it is for you, that's um, a sin of commission, you will need a, a, a practice of um, abstinence to get free from that thing. The, practice, the spiritual practice of fasting is so powerful in the life of folks who struggle with sins of commission. And remember, this is seasonal as well. 
If you're struggling with the sin of omission, maybe you're like, um, you're struggling with like lukewarmness about God. And you're just like, I don't know, I grew up with this whole church thing, this whole Christian thing, and I don't even know if it's for me or whatever, and I don't even know if I believe or whatever. You're going to need a practice of um, engagement to set yourself free from that struggle. You know, so for you, if you're struggling with the sin of omission, the encouragement would be to practice the spiritual discipline of like, let's just say service. Go to food pantry with no other like um, agenda or resume and say, I'm just here to serve. I'm just here to participate and practice that for three months and then see how you're doing with the sin of omission. Likewise, uh, with the sin of commission. So smart training takes into account uh, the need of the hour in the same way a doctor utilizes prescription. Next, so almost there. Smart training isn't afraid to do the hard work. Follow the pain. Well, I thought you just said lean into what makes you come alive. Yes and yes. <laughs> Follow the pain. If you guys have friends who are like gym people and they love to work out and they love to like get fit and that's hard work. They're actually ripping their muscles by lifting weights and then letting the muscles heal again bigger. Think about that for a minute. Thousands of people are doing that right now in America, ripping up their muscles so that they'll be torn, so that they'll look bigger. Who in their right mind wants to go work out at the gym? Not me. That's hard work. That's pain. I don't want to do that. But at the end of the day, all these people, your friends who constantly work out, they love exercise, they found life in that, they will tell you they have never felt so They've never felt better in their lives. They feel more healthy. They feel more alert. They feel more aware. So smart training isn't afraid to do the hard work. It's yes and yes. Lean into what makes you come alive and follow the pain and start where you're at. With that list, start where you're at. Just right where you're at. Implement three hours of Sabbath. You can't go your whole day without your phone. That's fine. Start where you're at. Try three hours. Try, okay, try not taking it into your room at night. Leave it downstairs. Leave it in the kitchen. Put it in the lockbox. Whatever you need to do. Start <laughs> with where you're at. Uh, lastly, and we'll park here. Smart training takes into account repetition. We're all familiar with the phrase, repetition is the key to learning. Smart training takes into account repetition. Smart training takes into account repetition. Repetition. And more repetition. <laughs> more reps. This is what smart training entails. And I'll use an Ohio example for this, just in that other city that's south of Columbus, Cincinnati. So they've got a little quarterback down there. I'm not sure if you're aware of or not. And he's pretty amazing. His name is Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow has become classic for his inability to perform a quarterback slide. Doesn't know how to do it yet. 
so that he doesn't get pummeled. Uh, he's learning, he'll say. But um, Joe Burrow is also famous for not posting his workouts on social media or Instagram or anything. He won't do it. And he thinks that's what's missing in the football players coming up. Listen to what he says. He says this, don't have a work, this is about football now. Don't have a workout and post it on Instagram the next day and then go sit on your butt the next day and everyone thinks you're working hard, but you're not. Here, check it. Work in silence. Don't show anyone what you're doing. Let your performance on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday show all the hard work that you put in. Don't worry about all that social media stuff. The theologian, Joe Burrow. <laughs> Spiritual growth is like this. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Spiritual growth will not happen in your life or in my life overnight. It just won't. It takes time and it takes practice. You're just doing these things and you might not even notice it. You might not even notice the change that Jesus is doing in your life. Have you had people come up to you before? Um, Maybe you're in a season where you've been um, really sensing God's presence and it might be really hard. You might be going through some really hard things, but you've been just doing the stuff. You're just getting, you're setting aside 20 minutes every morning. You're like, man, I found some rhythm here. This is great. And you're really, or you're in a season where you're just really digging into first Kings. You're just like getting life from that. And then you have somebody and you're just doing that and you're just doing it and doing it again and doing it again. Smart training takes into account repetition and you're just doing it over and over and over again. And then someone who knows you and loves you comes up out of the blue, out of the blue, right? At, from left field and they say, you've changed. You can't even see it. You're different now. And you don't feel any different inside. But the people who love you and know you notice a difference. I'll tell you what, marrieds, when your spouse comes up to you after a season and say, man, you're different. You didn't react that same way that you would have reacted. You, you could have, re I, I know the Eben four years ago would have done A, B, and C, and you didn't do any of those things. When Sarah sees it in my life, that's when you know you've got it cooking. When your spouse, the person who knows you the best, comes up out of the blue and says, you're different, what's going on? You've changed. Spiritual growth doesn't happen overnight. Change is incremental and it's slow. A long obedience in the same direction. This requires a patience. A patience with your, with your situation, with your circumstances, and a patience with yourself. Like cut yourself a break. Be patient. It's okay. Start with where you're at. You don't, you don't have to go on a three-month-long fast if you've never fasted before. Please don't do that. Right? Start right where you're at. Because you can't. When you give yourself patience like that and you acknowledge that, man, this is a lifetime thing. I'm in this and there's different seasons. Some seasons you might be drawn to worship, other times to study, other times you want to practice the spiritual discipline of celebration and go out with friends like three or four times a week. There are different seasons, and when you do this, you'll find you can and you will change. You will be changed. 
And the last thing I want to leave you with is that joy is found in the ordinary. Like, don't skip over these ordinary moments when you're just in the grind and you're training, not trying, and you're making space for Jesus, and you're saying, here I am in the middle of changing diapers, in the middle of going to work again, in the, in the, middle, of, um, in the middle of a yard sale, in the middle of whatever you're in the middle of with. Don't, um, don't discount the mundane, that there's joy in the ordinary. And I've read this quote before. It's so life-giving, but I wanted to end with this. It's a G.K. Chesterton quote. They, man, they don't write like they used to. This is from his book, Orthodoxy. And it's about joy being found in the ordinary. And Chesterton says this, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. (laughs) For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every morning, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. They don't write it like that anymore, do they? (laughs) There's joy in the ordinary moment, and the invitation here, the invitation here, my dream for Vineyard Cleveland is that we would be a safe place for all of us to be who we are in process, that it would be patience, not performance, that there'd be space for the mess, a transparency about us, but at the same time, the foundation would be built on practicing the way of Jesus. That it's not this thing of just like showing up on Sunday, but it's, this, it's our whole lives built on practicing the way of Jesus.